When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, an update on the nuts and bolts of becoming a millionaire or creating real wealth. If we study successful people and their habits and pick the ones that you can do, well, that means maybe you're on the path now, too, for a million plus. The late, great Thomas Stanley from my hometown here in Atlanta, wrote the Bible on millionaire habits called The Millionaire Next Door. And today we're updating those statistics behind millionaires in the United States and around the globe and the most important habits that you can use to, no matter what stage of the game you're in, and become a Paul, P-A-W, or a prodigious accumulator of wealth. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Today, a fresh look at and an update to a perennial favorite when it comes to gaining or building wealth, this book, The Millionaire Next Door. So if you've been interested in money or investing or any anything, or if you're listening to the Retire Sooner podcast, you probably at least heard about this book, maybe read this book. And I read this so long ago that I didn't realize the impact that it had because it was one of these things that I got in the investment business 20 plus years ago. And I remember, I believe being an, in, I think I was an intern when I read Millionaire Next Door. It had just come out, it was 1996. And I think my first investment internship was 1997. So it was brand new and it was kind of groundbreaking research. So I read it right, you know, basically right as the book came out. And I think it was so popular because it was the first book to identify wealth and being able to be wealthy for like non-celebrities, meaning that, you know, wealth in America to some extent is still portrayed as Hollywood or you got to be famous, you got to be a unicorn hedge fund manager or technologist and invent something brand new in order to gain wealth in America. And we still think of it that way. Think of, you know, Ted Turner. He started CNN. He owns all the land in Montana. You think of famous rich people like Bill Gates. And you started Microsoft, which is, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about trillion-dollar companies here. You, know, you think of guys like Donald Trump who have got, you know, buildings in New York City. You know, really high profile. Um, and, and Millionaire Extra was the first real look at giving the average person in America a shot or maybe some hope at also becoming wealthy or also becoming a millionaire and not just this kind of celebrity, which in my opinion, still, it's kind of out of reach for almost everybody in the world. And, and I think when the millionaire extorted it, meaning that it said that 
just anybody can do this if you do have these habits I'm going to go through today. Anybody to become a millionaire in America, if you have the habits or try to follow the habits of the people that Thomas Stanley, PhD, studied about and wrote about in this book, The Millionaire Next Door. So this thing still keeps selling because it's so good and so informative. So he unbundled and debunked the misconception that you have to be celebrity-like to ever get to be wealthy, wealthy. What's interesting to me is that I think that misconception is still alive and well, or maybe even more so today. I mean, think about the world we live in today. So it's uh, the Kardashian effect, right? It's like, oh, you're you know, rich and opulent life. Oh, those are the rich people. Uh, the you know the YouTuber effect. If you look at kids today, I mean, I because I have a bunch of little kids, I know that they watch YouTube and they see wealthy people are gamers that live in modern mansions. You know, hey, Jake Paul, the Paul brothers, they live in these palatial Beverly Hills or not California on the coast, big estate. So like my little kids grow up seeing like, oh, that's wealthy. It's the Maybe the misconception is even bigger. I, even the concept of the rich guy driving the pickup truck. The pickup truck guy that you see is Sam Walton. Who's Sam Walton? He's the Walmart guy. He started Walmart. He's a multi-billionaire, one of the richest families on the planet, but he's in a pickup truck. So again, I think that almost misses the mark. The Walton family could buy every single pickup dealership in the entire United States of America, all the new F-150s out there like a rounding error in their checking account. So even that, I think, is a little off when it comes to a visual of just the average guy, you know, become a millionaire in, in America. It's still, to some extent, out of reach when you think about the wealth that we see on TV and social media. But back in the 1990s, Thomas Stanley was the first person to debunk that thought. The debunk the thought that rich people were hedonistically rich, celebrity-like rich, Tiger Woods rich. Again, Michael Jordan, Ted Turner, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. I remember, I remember in elementary school that kids would talk about, you know, Bill Gates is so rich that he could drop $1,000 and make it up the next second. Weirdly, my kids still talk about that to this day. Like, it's fast forward to 2021, and little kids, just like when I was in elementary school, we're talking 40 years ago, some 40 years ago, still talking about the same thing. And today it's a little bit of a different cast of characters. Gates is still around. You know, his net worth is halved because he's getting divorced. But you know what? He's still a multi-billionaire. And by the way, it's funny, the, these ultra, ultra billionaires that give away 99% of their income, the giving pledge. I think uh, Warren Buffett's doing it. Zuckerberg's doing it from Facebook. My kids ask me about that. How can they give away all their money? Well, they give away 99% of $100 billion. You still have 1% left. It's still a billion dollars, guys. Oh, okay. They're not getting everything away. So we still see, though, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, we still see the 0.00001% of the wealthy in the U.S. And it's hard to wrap your, your arms around $100 billion in net worth when you're just trying to get to a couple million and trying to retire sooner. So today is about like the, the real world practical people in America that the nuts and bolts of how to get to and copy or emulate the millionaire next door habits. And, and we all know that if you find a successful group of people and you can emulate their habits, you can accomplish similar things. And that's what we'll do today. And that's why the book still stands the test of time. So let me go into this book. If you go in and look at the traits and I'm going to, this is a, again, today is about my take on these traits. The seven factors, by the way, are 
They live well below their means. They allocate their time, number one. They're, number two, they allocate their time and energy most and money efficiently in ways conducive to building wealth, of course. Three, they believe in financial independence more important than high social status. Get it? Parents, these are, it's two things about the family dynamics. Number one, their parents did not provide what he calls outpatient care. It's money to adult children. Five, their adult children are economically self-sufficient. There, it means their kids get out of the house and do well self-sufficiently. Number six, they're proficient in targeting market opportunities, which makes sense, and they choose the right occupation. So that's just kind of the quick seven overview but that we're going to dive into today. And just I'm going to give some context around all of those habits. First of all, one of the other things that, that Stanley talks about here in the book is these three levels of wealth, the PAW, the AAW, and the UAW, I believe. Prodigious accumulator of wealth, is the, that's, that's what he considers wealthy. Basically, what's the average of the wealth formula for the millionaire star? And you can all start to do this calculation in your head as I talk this through. You're listening, you're like, hmm, I wonder what my wealth threshold is. Here it is. Essentially, take your age, and multiply your age times your annual income, and then if you divide it by 10, and that's your threshold. If you're double that, you're a prodigious accumulator of wealth. If you're right on that regular threshold, you're average. If you're half of that, you're an under accumulator of wealth. So here it is. Again, multiply, you know, you're already thinking about this in your head as you're listening. Multiply your age times your realized pre-tax income. So what do you make in a year? That's from all sources, by the way, except inheritance, Divided by 10, and that's your wealth threshold, according to Thomas Stanley. I'm going to give you a couple examples. By the way, Millionaire Store is not about making a lot of money. It is about accumulating wealth. It's not about what you make in a given year. It's about accumulating wealth. Some examples. Lily, she's 32. She owns a vending machine business. She makes 100 grand a year. She's 32. Remember, so what's the formula? 32 times 100 is 320,000. Uh, divided by 10 is 320,000. 32 times $100,000 a year is 3.2 million. Divided by 10 is 320,000. That's her wealth threshold. Lily is a net worth of 700,000. That's it. That's in her savings. That's her home equity and the value of her business, by the way the value of her vending machine business. So her net worth at 700 is a little over 2X, two times, the 320, which is the threshold. That means, what is she? She's a, she's a millionaire next door. She's a paw, prodigious accumulator of wealth. Ben, on the other hand, is a 40-year-old surgeon. Ben makes 400K a year. Ooh, he must be rich. 400 times 40 is 40. 40 years old times 400,000 is 16 million. Divided by 10 is 1.6 million. That's his wealth threshold, 1.6 million. Ben is a net worth of 700,000 as well, just like Lily. But that's only half of his expected wealth threshold. Again, these are Thomas Stanley numbers. That's how he defines it. So that means he's a UAW, not United Auto Workers. I'm talking about an under accumulator of wealth. Now, in his defense, because I have a little brother who's a doctor, he's almost 40. And it takes a while for these doctors to really accumulate because they have all this college debt. So I'm going to give Ben a pass. But if you want to be a paw, prodigious accumulator of wealth, that's your formula. Take your age times your income, divide that by 10. That's your threshold. If you're double that, you're prodigious accumulator of wealth. If you're half that, you're an under. Again, I hadn't rem didn't remember that from college. 
Reread it today. Absolutely stands the test of time. Let's do some millionaire statistics. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So as a quick aside, we're going to get into millionaire statistics here, but a quick aside, my research still shows the money side for the Retire Sooner audience. The Retire Sooner formula is... 500,000 median minimum liquid assets, number one. Number two, at least three separate and different income sources, Social Security, rental income, pension, retirement income, and three, no mortgage. You could also, from a money perspective, put income investing in there, but that's the money side of Retire Sooner. Today, again, all about the millionaire next door and millionaire traits in the United States. And what I'm about to go into, none of these are in the book, but these are updated brand new millionaire traits. Oh, by the way, millionaire next door, I know what you've been thinking. A million dollars isn't what it used to be, Wes. Correct. I did a inflation updated number for 2020 and beyond millionaire statistics. Some of these are from Credit Suisse. Some of these are from the Spectrum Group. So these are a bunch of different statistics. I'll go through a couple of these. I think these are super interesting. So first of all, about 46 million millionaires worldwide. And this is not the 1.5 threshold. This is the million threshold, just like Stanley uses. a nice round number. Of that huge group of millionaires around the world, out of 7 billion some people, 40% of them are individuals in the United States. So 18 million 18.6 million individuals in the U.S. So on a percentage basis, out of 100 people in the United States, seven and a half of you are millionaires. It's about seven and a half percent of the U.S. adult population millionaires out of 100. All right. Percentage household wise, because a, a millionaire in a household that has two or three people, that's a millionaire household, technically. 14% of the United States is in the millionaire club. 14% means 86% of people are not in the million dollar club in the United States. If you get to a million dollars of wealth or net worth, the average, how much more is that than the median net worth in the United States? The median wealth in the United States is $65,000 for an adult, 65904 to be exact. That means if you have a million dollars, you are 1,517% above the median. These are big, this is still... Big, big destination to get to. This is around the world, globally still. 40% of them remember in the US, the next highest five countries for millionaires. China, 10%, Japan, 6%, UK, 5%, and Germany and France. How about percentage of the world? If you're a millionaire anywhere, you're in the top 0.6%. 0.6% of the wealth for the world's population. All right, geographically, what are the big cities? So the nine cities with the most millionaires from highest to lowest. Number one, drum roll, Tokyo. Number two, New York City. Number three, London. Then Paris, Frankfurt, Beijing, Osaka, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. 
the the next part here is how do you calculate this? The there are different ways to calculate it. The biggest question is do you use your home equity or not? Some of these calculations take into home account home equity. Some just look at your liquid net worth and your outside investments, like let's say commercial real estate. I, I think I, I my children always ask this question: Is it in the bank? Bill Gates again. They still talk about Bill Gates. He's got a hundred billion or two hundred billion. But does he have the money in the bank, Dad? And they're not saying, is it in the bank, as in like they're questioning it. They literally just want to know, is the money actually in the bank? Do they mean real monies? Or is it just, because think about this, as a child, it's hard to maybe grasp having money in stock. Does that count as money? You know, if you own a commercial real estate piece of property and it's worth $10 million, can you spend it? Well... Yes, we're talking about net worth here. All right, what about the behaviors? And this is where we get into, these are all kind of study from the Spectrum Group and other studies that I've kind of accumulated here. But, and this is, these are all from the year 2020, but they're very consistent with what Thomas Stanley said in Millionaire Next Door. So it's still, his research was like the beginning of setting the standard of becoming a millionaire for any given person in the United States, it's, it's still possible. Well, number one, education. Of course, education important. 84% of millionaires, some degree, some sort of college degree. Savings. Well, they all rate savings to be a huge part of their overall wealth philosophy. That, that obviously makes sense. Eight, on a scale of 1 to 10, it gets a, a rating of 82 in importance on a scale of 1 to 10. This is from the Harris Group survey of affluence and wealth they save on average 23% of their income. These are people that get to the millionaire goal line, if you will. And then the other thing here is, again, this is a brand new statistic, but it's, again, 2020, Thomas Stanley, same exact thing that Thomas Stanley said back in 1996. These these guardrails, guidelines, the DNA, the habits of the millionaire, just they haven't changed since Stanley wrote about this. No inheritance. This is a study from Fidelity showed that 86% of millionaires said they made their own wealth. 86. That means only 14% of people that are in the millionaire threshold inherited it. It's, it's, it is still a first-generation, I'm-going-to-make-my-own-way destination here in the United States. This one is, I think, so helpful, particularly for anybody at any age listening to Retire Sooner Podcast, is that what's the time frame to become a millionaire? It's long. On average, it takes 32 years to hit the million-dollar mark. 32 years. Not 32 years old, but 32 years to accumulate and get to the million-dollar mark. Again, we see and we celebrate the quick rich. Oh, quick rich windfall. Like, yeah, oh, they, they started a company in the dorm room, and, th- and three years later, they're a millionaire or a billionaire. <laughs> Doesn't, that just, that's the, that's the sliverest, tiniest sliver of the very, very top Sliver of a percentile. Most people, 32 years to hit that mark. In fact, that same study showed that 80% of current millionaires didn't get there until they were at least 50 years old. Takes a long period of time. Again, a couple here. This is a habit. Long hours. This is from another one. Uh, Thomas Corley. Rich habits. 86% of the wealthy, they work hard. Average 50 hours a week in work. 50 hours a week. A couple of these, take these with a grain of salt or with you, how you want to look at it. 
67 uh, percent uh, of the wealthy in the millionaire class they own they watch one hour or less of TV, one hour or less of being on the web. That's interesting. That means my kids, no way, are going to be millionaires. As they are, they spend like nine hours with some version of a screen. And here's the other thing: not surprising, they want it, just like you do. You're not listening to this because you're you're trying not to get to financial independence and you know you need to probably get to at least a half a million dollar mark. Your probably goals are way beyond that. And 53% of self-made millionaires, they were, I don't know if I love this word, but they were obsessed. They were intent. That's a better word for it. They were intentional intent on creating wealth. They said when they were young, hey, I, I want to be financially independent. No shocker there. They have multiple income streams. No shocker there. That's the same with, by the way, happy retirees. And 86% married, interestingly. 86% married, 65% in their first marriage. Well, that makes sense because if for every divorce, it cuts your wealth in half. Every divorce. So you could start out as a 100 millionaire. And then if you get divorced, you're a 50 millionaire. And then if you get divorced, you're 25. And then you're at 12. And then all of a sudden, you would be at like six. Well, that's a lot of divorces, maybe $100 million, a bad example. <laughs> but if you have $2 million, you get divorced once down to your million, you have one more time, now you're back under the million mark. So, of course, it's expensive. Oh, this is interesting. A lot of millionaires actually started out poor. 78% started out as middle class or poor. Whoa. Another cool podcast you'll find right here at Retire Sooner, Jill Schlesinger, who's the famous money host at CBS News. So funny. Jill, in her interview, comes right out, right out and says, by the way, I grew up in a pretty, pretty wealthy, pretty affluent family. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Jill. Nobody ever says that. Um, and 62% of millionaires rely on a financial advisor, financial planner. This is from Fidelity, their millionaire outlook study. Thank you, Fidelity. By the way, I do that for a living. So I'm biased. I'm like, hey, do you need a financial advisor? Yeah, I'm a financial advisor. I think you do. We're, we're I think, almost invaluable for the people that need us, the profession. Ask a barber if you need a haircut. Yes, of course you do. And this one is my favorite. 80% are first generation plus. Again, most millionaires don't inherit the money. 80% first generation and 66%. So two-thirds uh, are at some point in their life a business owner. Wow. These are all things that – this none of this came from Thomas Stanley's book, by the way. This is all a variety of different sources. But as I go through this list and having just reread Millionaire Next Door for the second time in my life, once I was just an intern in the investment business, now – I have an investment company. It's he hit it. He, he was on the mark back then. Still to this day, that's why I think it's so important to go right back to these traits and tell this story again for you, as we all need some wealth building vitamin C. That's what today is really all about. And, and here's the other part about all of this is that the numbers behind all this don't tell the full story. Meaning that I think every single millionaire in the United States, anybody that's achieved any sort of wealth has a movie in them, has a book in them. Meaning that every story is unique enough that it's fascinating to listen to. 
I've been in the investment industry for over well over 20 years, and the families we work with, typically you're, you're at a million bucks or more, some of them a lot more than that. But every single time, every single person has a fi- unique fingerprint how they got there. Because think about it, it's, it's only of individuals in the United States, only 7%, 7 7.5 out of 100 adults get there. So it's a rare, rare combination to get there. And that's why I still think that even though these habits are great, there's so many of them that you don't need to have all of them. You just want to have more of them than not. You want to have more millionaire traits than non-millionaire traits. That helps you get there. And note that your journey will be 100% unique. It's going to be 100% your own version of how you get there. So let's go through some of the main pieces of the book itself updated. And by the way, I'm going to go in here and do a couple inflation updates. I went through the latest version of Millionaire Next Door, which still has data for 1996. And I thought, yeah, I just want to update this for inflation. So if you look at the annual income of the average millionaire family, back when Thomas Stanley did this, it was $131,000. That was the median, the 50 percentile. If you were just to update that number in today's dollars, it'd be about 380000 So just some context around how the world's gotten more expensive. And of course, I'll I'll say again, one one million then at an inflation rate of 1.72 would be about a million and a half today. The average net worth of the households when he did his surveys of the average millionaire family, uh, the average net worth of that group was 3.7 million. 3.7 then would be 6.8 about 6.4 today. The typical millionaire median, which again is a different way. Remember from statistics class, you line up all the millionaires in a line and you take the middle millionaire. What is what is his net worth? The median, when Thomas Stanley did this, was 1.6 million. Today's, today's dollars would be 2.7, 2.75. So just kind of giving you some context around, even though all the traits are certainly... I would say very much the same of what he wrote about. I wanted to update a couple of those numbers just for the world that we live in today. As I sit here in 2021 and do this podcast. So let's just go through, I think, the key points here. Number one, and and I'll try try to give you some context in what I, I think a lot of these have become just common sense. Number one, millionaires live below their means. I think the book does a good job of categorizing this in two areas. One, Offense is making money. Defense is not spending too much money. Offense is what you're making. This is in Thomas Stanley's terms. Defense is what you're trying not to spend too much of. So the millionaire has the good combination of good offense, good defense. Maybe it's a great offense and a pretty good defense. Maybe it's a good offense and a great defense. So we know that education for this group is important, but I would also say by no means essential. So they're fine to pay for education. It's part of the budget for a huge piece of the equation, Eighty over 80% college degree. They still budget. The million, the average millionaire still spends time budgeting. They plan. 66% of the group spends a lot of time planning for the future, reconciling their budgets. People will say, hey, you don't have to budget if you're a millionaire. That's not right. You Maybe you don't have to budget if you're worth $100 billion. Like Bill Gates probably doesn't need to budget. But... of millionaires do need to budget. And I think it's an important piece of the equation. 
That means they spend time watching the outflow. That's the defense. Our listeners, I think, have the propensity. If you're listening to the retired pursuit of practice, you probably have the propensity to maybe you're use Quicken. Maybe you use some sort of QuickBooks online. Maybe you just do it manually once a month on a piece of paper. But you do some version of understanding the outflow at least once a month. The other thing that Stanley talks about, and I think it's a huge piece of the equation, is that they're smart or at least have a really good concept of taxes. The wealthy pay less in tax than you would think. Because if you think about it, the wealthy, the, the, the highest tax dollar in your life is what? It's wage income. It's what you earn through work. But if you own a stock... You can own $10,000 in a stock and it can go all the way to 100000 or 200 or 500 or a million. And as long as you don't sell it, there's zero taxes. Now, eventually you've got some capital gains. But remember, capital gains and dividend taxes are much less for most people than ordinary income. Yes, the tax laws could change that. But for the better part of the last 40 years, that's been the case. So millionaire wealthy families understand better tax buckets relative to higher tax buckets. Capital gains and dividends are one of those. Interesting from a defense perspective, there's a really, I had totally forgotten about this story. There's a, an anecdote in the Thomas Stanley version of Millionaire Store or his original that talks about a guy named Mr. Allen who was a manufacturing business owner. So kind of non-glamorous business. Again, it's, it is funny to read the businesses like a welding shop and making bolts or springs or commercial cleaning. Like these are non-glamorous, you know, mobile home parks, owning a junkyard. And by the way, these are all the creative ways that I've seen people get wealthy in the United States. It's always very often it's something. Oh wow! Oh yeah! I guess there's money in concrete. Sure, but you don't. How many people do you know? Not a ton, but oh, you you do marble. You have a marble company. Your family has a marble company. You've created great wealth. None of those seemingly more obscure, non glamorous professions. When somebody says I'm I'm in this non glamorous profession, this is what I say in my mind. Of course you are. Of course, that makes sense that you have accumulated a huge amount of money in something like that that's maybe not overly glamorous. Speaking of giving glamorous the Heisman, Mr. Allen, as a manufacturing guy, also loved to help other business owners. And he did so by helping them either financially or from a strategy perspective, consulting. And he helped a ton of business owners in his area. And he became, I guess, a little bit of a local legend slash hero, created a huge, huge prodigious accumulator of wealth. I think he had a 10 time, more than 10 times his threshold ratio. But after, I don't know, 20 some years of helping all these people, a couple of the business owners that he had helped who started out with nothing and accumulated huge, a huge amount of wealth, got together and said, we need to give Mr. Allen a present. And what did they buy him? They bought him a Rolls Royce. What? They got together and they bought him a Rolls Royce. And they went and they gave him a Rolls Royce. And you know what he did? He said, guys, thank you. Thank you so much, but I'm not going to accept it. Because it's just so far out of the realm of what I like to feel. I, I I don't even feel comfortable in the Rolls. I, I fish, I throw fish in the back of my old Buick. 
I, you know, I'm down gravel roads. I'm down at the lake. Like the roads just doesn't work. I can't pull into the diner in a roll. It's like, thanks guys. Thank you. But no, thank you. I'm not interested in owning a Rolls Royce. I'm defending how I perceive and spend money. An interesting story on the defense side from someone who is a true millionaire next door. How about this? Family matters. And I, in my upcoming book, what the happiest retirees know. I have a, a several chapters about family habits and family wealth habits. I talk about how what the unhappy group gives their child, adult children in a given average month versus the happy group. And it's a, it's a pretty stark difference. In fact, the unhappy group gives their adult children two times the amount of money the happy group does. That's how I look at this research, money, happiness, relationship. What Thomas Stanley did is he got, what does it mean from a wealth perspective? Well, here we go. Kids who receive money to start out their working life, he calls EOCs. That means economic outpatient care. What's interesting is, is the folks that EOCs who end up earning about the same as, as non-EOCs. So the kids that got a, a lot of help as adults still ended up earning about the same as non-EOCs, the ones that didn't get any help, they ended up about the same amount of income level over time. However, they only ended up accumulating 47%. That's less than half of the non-EOCs. Wait, whoa. So that means that by helping your children, the millionaire next door understood that helping their children while they were adults might seem helpful, but it actually leads to less than half of the net worth long-term for those kids. Whoa, what a lesson. If you're thinking about having kids, if you want your kids to be wealthy, what a lesson to me for my own kids. So the millionaire next door, by the way, also didn't receive economic outpatient care from their parents. Well, that's no shocker there. So they're also very intentional uh, about how they teach their kids about money. And the millionaire next door parent uh, with successful children do the following. You know, this got, I will say, as I reread this, it was very, very parental advicey. even though one of, uh, one of his main points was not to give your adult children parental advice. But his 10, it was like 10 things of what wealthy parents do, how they talk about money essentially with their kids. It, it seemed a little... Uh, parents scorning to me. Maybe it's because I do all the wrong things, but I will go through at least a few of these on the list that I think are very important. Number one, never tell your children that you're wealthy. Never. And it makes sense, right? If your kids never think you really have any money, they're not like, oh, well, well dad will bail me out. Mom will bail me out. Gives them more of a proclivity to do it on their own, make it on their own. Number two, no matter how wealthy these folks are, they teach their children frugality and discipline. Discipline. They went into all these things like make sure your kids flush the toilets and make your kids. Yeah, I get all that. But again, I'm just going to call it frugality and discipline. This is a little rhetorical, but I'm sure your kids don't find out you're wealthy until after they become mature adults and they're already disciplined and they already have their adult lifestyle. In my mind, I think you are a real adult and your habits are really fully formed by 30. Pretty much by age 30, your work habits are established. The way my family works, my kids don't get anything until they are at least 30 is how I've written up my, let's call it my 
estate planning. Because I think by then, even if they get a bunch of money, they are baked humans who they are. At least that's what I've seen in 20 plus years of advice business, financial planning, and working with lots of families with generational wealth. Uh, let's see. Never give cash as a bargaining chip. Okay, easier said than done. Thomas Stanley, stay out of your adult children's family affairs and family matters. Don't give them advice. Okay, is he's giving us advice. Uh, don't try to compete with your children. I guess that makes some sense. Like, don't suppose you're gonna say, when I was your age, and this is probably why I don't like this advice because I've said that a million times. When I was your age, I was herding cattle in Wyoming. Don't boast about your money accumulation. I think that actually makes total sense. And then try to emphasize really the product of the real fruits of financial independence, which are health, potentially health, longevity, like what what value beyond money, which is health, longevity, honesty, achievement, your reputation, your friends, your family, self-reliance, all these things. Again, I'm not going to argue with any of this with Thomas Stanley. So let me bottom line this here for the Retire Sooner podcast. I think today was the nuts and bolts of becoming a millionaire. Nuts and bolts. It was right back then because it was essentially studying the habits and almost exposing how anybody can do this. And those nuts and bolts still stand the test of time today. Very difficult to argue with the habits of successful people. In the case of people who've created, not just a high income though. Remember, it's not just high income. It's about building wealth. Again, every path to wealth is unique. Everyone that gets there has a unique story of how they did it. Dramatically unique. So unique that I think that anybody that's gotten there has a book in them because it'd be valuable to hear that story. Everybody that's gotten there to this threshold has a movie in them because it's unique and fascinating to watch these stories. Maybe it's maybe it's me that I'm fascinated in all of the different paths that people take to get to wealth. But the habits in general, they're the same as then as they are today. Over 80%, remember, did this without an inheritance. Over 80% are first generation wealthy. Two-thirds at some point are business owners. They're all good savers and investors. They all have the right combination of financial offense, that's income, and financial defense, which is controlling the outflow. And I think today's overview is an invaluable lesson on how to build the chassis that you can ultimately drive to this same level of wealth and beyond. Thanks for listening to the Retire Sooner podcast. Forward this to a friend or a friend's kid or anyone that you would think has some at least nascent interest in creating wealth in the U.S. These habits are time-tested, and I think this is a gift to anyone that you love. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.